Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either. I swear folks want to get cursed out today. I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. I'm on some order my steps with your word, dear Lord. Right on my tongue. But Lord knows some people deserve it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I hope you are having a better day than I am right now because folks is trying it. In other news, Global Citizen just wrapped in Ghana this week. I am officially in detox mode, at least into the third. I have a trip coming up. I'm headed to Sao Tome, which I'm super, super excited about. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know I've been talking about this teeny tiny island two hours off the coast of Ghana. I need a break. I can't wait to go. But I'm dry until I get to Sao Tome because the last week, all these global citizen events, I have been going nonstop from not even this past Wednesday, the Wednesday before that until yesterday. It's a good 10 days straight of nonstop partying. Actually, that's a lie because I had to take three days off, two days. I tried to do three, but two days. I had to detox for two days to make sure my face didn't look puffed out on Saturday. Remember I told you I had a guest coming to the house? Well, my guest wasn't able to make it. The guest was Robin Roberts. Maybe three weeks ago, Good Morning America reached out and they said they were coming to Ghana for Global Citizen and they were working on a segment about Black Americans living abroad. There's been um, a small exodus, a Blacksit, if you will, of Black folks not even just moving to Ghana because a lot of people are in Mexico and Portugal as well. But there's also a lot of Americans here. So Robin was not able to make it, unfortunately, which I was super excited about because, you know, how Robin does like the walk and talk in the street. I was really trying to figure out like which street that we walk down, because in general, there's not sidewalks here and there's open sewers on each side of the road. And I was like, Lord, Father, God, I want to do this walk and talk in the street. But trying to like walk and talk in a way that makes sense and look cute on camera and keep Robin Roberts from getting hit by a car or falling into an open sewer. I was like, that's just too much at once. I spent a lot of time figuring out which street we should walk down in my neighborhood. But unfortunately, she wasn't able to make it. We still shot the segment. We went to a cute rooftop not so far from my house and my friend and I had lunch and the cameras followed us there. And then we came back to my house and they interviewed me in my living room. So it was really cute. That segment, I haven't seen anything from it yet. I hope it turned out good. The interview was really fun. So I hope it did. But the segment airs tomorrow, Wednesday. I don't know the time. I just know it's on GMA in the morning. You'll probably see it before I do. I won't get the link until after it airs. I hope it's real, real cute. But I was really excited to be a part of it. When the producers reached out, one of them has been a ratchet and respectable listener for a while. And so she said that, you know, when they got the call that, you know, we're going to Ghana, she was like, oh, we have to reach out to Dimitri. And she said, I know um, that you haven't lived there that long because it's literally it'll be seven weeks on Thursday that I've been here. It's not even two months yet. But she was like, I know you haven't been there long, but you've been to Ghana plenty of times before. 
And then you also have like the Dear Mum, where you share about like your life and such. And on the podcast, you talk about your life. And so you really bring people along for the journey of, of you moving to Ghana and what it's like. And she said that. And I really just had to go sit down somewhere because I addressed on here about and it wasn't just one person. It was one person who wrote a review. But there's other people who've said things in, in my DMs or, or sent emails. I'd really had qualms about, like, maybe I should stop talking about, you know, my experience in Ghana, which overwhelmingly people wrote in and was like, girl, don't stop. Like, that's what I'm tuning in for. Like, the pop culture is cute, but I'm here for the Ghana adventures. It, it was, it's one of those things that I was doing or I am doing, because I didn't stop, but what felt natural and right for me in this chapter of my life to share those adventures, because I always shared what was going on in my life for the first few minutes of the podcast. That's been part of the format since, you know, the early days, once, you know, I got an actual format going. Do you know the blessings I would have blocked if I didn't write Dear Mom, or if I didn't share my life if I didn't talk about, you know, the places I go and the people I meet, occasionally like the men I encounter. Someone also wrote in to me too about like me talking about dating. She's like, I feel like all you do is date in Ghana and it's giving, I couldn't get a man in the States. And I was like, you mean like him that I was dating for a year? And then before that, it was a global pandemic. And before that, I was getting over a divorce. What are you talking about? And like, I've always talked about my dating life. Most people know me from writing about my dating life as a blogger and then an author and then spinning all that stuff into a TV film. Dating and relationships has always been the crux of what I do from like way back, like 20 years. So I thought that was weird that people were like, you talk a lot about dating. Like, duh. I don't know. But I just think like, had I listened to naysayers when I was feeling very unsteady, because, you know, I'm doing something different with the podcast, like I'm trying something new. I've moved to another country, another continent. So I'm just a little unsteady, a little unsure, trying to find my footing. But I'm no longer unsteady. I'm good. And GMA calling and being like, we want to share your story with a wider audience because of the way you share your story on your platforms was really just a great affirmation that my instincts were correct, that the overwhelming majority of the audience was also correct. The people were like, don't you stop talking about Ghana. So just very much thank you to the people who, when I was in, you know, a, an unsteady phase and when I was, you know, doubting myself and my abilities, thank you for giving me a kind push and, you know, people who took the opportunity to, throw a dagger and twist the knife. I mean, you know, fuck you very much. There you are nonetheless. So I'm really excited about GMA. Hopefully you will tune in. And if you get the link before I do, please, 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 please send it to me. I'll try to share it as soon as I get it. But if you get it first, because you haven't seen me share it, go ahead and send it to me. Greatly, greatly appreciate you. What else is going on? Oh, Global Citizen. Gosh, Global Citizen was nuts. This nonstop whirlwind of shopping events, dinners, brunches, concerts, cocktails, just nonstop. It was absolutely great. I had originally planned to be in Abidjan leading up to Global Citizen. I, I was just going to come back for the actual day of the concert and something told me just be in town because I feel like it'll be popping. And was the highlight obviously was the actual Global Citizen Festival. If you remember the day that I moved here, 
Global Citizen announced that Usher was the headliner. And I took it as, you know, I'd be looking for signs. And I took it as a sign that I was supposed to be in Ghana because Usher was coming to me. This is how it works in my head. Usher was coming to me. I couldn't see him in Vegas this summer. And I saw him last summer. You know, I talked about wanting to go to the show and then I went to the show and then I raved about the show. Like I really wanted to see Usher again before I left and I just couldn't figure it out. And so Usher coming here was just this major confirmation for me that I was like, I am where I am supposed to be. Usher's performance was great. I don't know that he ever gives a bad show. He is at his peak in his prime right now. And I think one of the things that makes him so good in addition to being amazingly talented as a singer, a dancer, a performer, an entertainer. Like he puts on a show, right? He loves what he does and it radiates from him when he's on stage. He's up there having fun and it's almost, not even almost, it's infectious. Like you want to have fun with him. I was in the throngs, in the crowds. There was a VIP where everyone was just sort of hanging out and there were like tables and couches and more space. And you, you could watch the whole concert on one of the screens, like from the comfort of your seat. I was there with some friends, but they were like, no, I'm not going into the crowds. And I was like, see y'all later. And like ran into the crowd to get as close to Usher as I can. And it's just, you know, just me. Like, so I was able to, you know, maneuver my way, not to the front, but maybe to like row four. It was the perfect view for me. Like I got to see my Usher and I was very, very pleased. He sound good. He looked good. I posted a bunch of footage from the concert on my Instagram page. If you didn't have a chance to see it, something like 75,000 people have already looked at it. But if you're not one of them, go take a look. And also the concert was so good that I woke up the next morning because I didn't go out after the show. Like I wanted to, but I was so exhausted. I've been up since 6.45 preparing for the GMA folks. By the time the concert was over at midnight, I was just like tapped out. Plus it was like sprinkling. So I thought it was going to rain. And I was like, I'd be damned if I pushed through tired to go to a club that's outdoors by the beach. And then it rains. Oh, there was something else I was going to say about the show. The after party. Maybe that was it. But it was a really good show. And at the end of the night, all these fireworks went off, which I wasn't expecting. And the best part about it, I mean, the fireworks were very beautiful, but everyone was just so in awe of Usher, of the other performers. Every single performer did what they were supposed to do. But the fireworks went off and I did this panoramic of the crowd and everyone's got their phone up and their mouth half hanging open. Like everyone was just like, wow, this was an amazing once in a lifetime kind of event. And I also feel like Usher, not that he didn't solidify himself in Vegas and not that he didn't solidify himself again with the Tiny Desk performance, but I also feel like he just solidified, like he's MF Usher Raymond. I don't think enough respect gets put on Usher's name for his catalog, for his performance, for his endurance, for his showmanship. Usher really is that dude. (sighs) It was so good. And then the next day there was a brunch and like my favorite brunch spot on Sundays, this place called Vine. But Usher and Global Citizen hosted a VIP brunch that was really, really cute. And Usher did come. I posted the video on my stories of like him coming in. I did get a chance to meet him. I didn't take pictures. And I told him that he made me really, really proud last night. And he said, he was like, I'm just here. I wanted to be a bridge between Africa and America. And I was like, you did that. You did that. 
all of his dancers were African. I know for sure because I was hanging out with the Global Citizen folks. I think all of his clothing was African designers as well. I think. But I feel like he just he did really good from from the dancers he brought out to the dancers that he did to the Usher, Usher, Prussia, Prussia. That's not us. That's here. The artists that he brought out to perform with him, like he used his platform exactly the way that he was supposed to, to put other people on who might not be as well known to the American audience back home. But when they brought them out here, like people were screaming, like lost their minds. And I'm in the audience like, who? I can recognize the songs. I don't know the words, but I know when they brought them folks out, people went nuts. And I was standing there like, I want to go nuts. I want to go nuts too. Who Who is this? I had to hold up my phone to Shazam it. <laughs> oh, that's what I was going to say. I'm sorry. I totally forgot. If you didn't get a chance to watch the Usher concert, the Usher concert, if you didn't get a chance to watch Global Citizen live, Global Citizen's YouTube page, and I'm not being paid by Global Citizen to say that. I'm just telling you that the morning after the concert, I woke up the next morning, even though I was there. I woke up the next morning and pulled up the footage on YouTube and on the Global Citizen YouTube. They had the entire 10 hours of, of both Global Citizen festivals, the one in Accra and then also the one in New York. But the Usher performance starts at, I want to say it was four hours, 16 minutes. Try that. If it's not 416, it's 421. But try that. He also gave us like a Fela moment at the end. I was like, I think he's channeling Fela. He had on black leather pants. I think he might have had on his shoes, though. But he absolutely took his shirt off. His body is amazing. It was amazing last year in Vegas. I'm not surprised it's still amazing, but it's, it's kind of amazing. He got some grown man thick. I like it. I like it lots. What else? There was something else I was going to say about Usher. No, maybe that's it. It was so good, though. The funny part is I thought seeing him here, it would get the FOMO of missing Vegas out of my system. And now I'm just like, shit, now I want to go to Vegas and see Usher. I'll be home in April, I think. I don't know if I'm going to stay in the States for summer because I think I want to live in London for a couple months over the summer just because I haven't stayed there for any length of time since I was a kid and I actually really enjoyed it. But I think I'm going to be in London for a couple months. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Summer is summer. I have a, a lot of travel lined up before that. I think I finalized my trip to Zanzibar. I've been trying to get this one figured out forever. Just the logistics are killing me. I think it's Nairobi, Zanzibar, Lamu, which is in Kenya. I'm trying to figure out if I'm going to do this safari. It's kind of at the end of um, the wildebeest run right now. And if I go, I don't know if I'll get a chance to see all the animals, like the you know millions of them or thousands of them at least, running all together. I don't know if that's going to happen. So, And it's expensive. So I'm like, do I want to risk it? Even if I don't get to see, you know, a ton of animals, I'll at least see some animals. I have absolutely no interest in zoos, but I love safaris. I like seeing pandas at zoos, but nothing else. Everybody else looks like they're in like pure hell captivity. I like seeing animals in like their, their natural habitat. I like, I like to see them free. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs and projects done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... 
I know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <sighs> but enough about me. I tried to watch Dahmer. I woke up yesterday at like 7.30 when I got home from working out. I was like, we you know, it's bright and sunny out. Maybe I can, you know, watch a couple episodes in the mornings so it's not sitting in my mind late at night because that's usually when I watch TV is like before I go to bed. One of my friends told me she fell asleep watching Dahmer and she woke up in the middle of the night and the big Netflix ad with Dahmer's face, that, that scary looking white man was just on her like 70 inch TV staring back at her. And so she was like, oh, fuck no. I made it maybe five minutes, not even that long into the episode. And I was like, that white man is creepy as shit. I couldn't watch it. I'm going to. I'm going to get through it because so many people are watching it and raving about it. There's a particular episode. I think the guy is deaf and and I want to experience that episode. Like everyone talks about like what an amazing episode of TV it is. Just like, you know, writing, directing, visually stunning, the whole nine. And I just want to see what that is. But they were like, you can't just watch individual episodes. Like you got to like watch the whole buildup for it for to like really get it. But I've made it through. And I'll tell you like what the first two minutes are. You can tell me if you want to go through it. But Niecy Nash is sitting in her living room and she can hear this sound coming through the vent. And she can't figure out what the sound is. Because we know what the story is about him like cutting folks up and eating them. We know what it is. If you didn't know that context, you would hear that sound and be like, are they sawing something? Are they drilling something? Like, are they constantly building Ikea furniture? Like the person who used to live above me in LA? It would be very confusing. And so then when the sound goes off, dude leaves his apartment and Nisi opens the door and was like, hey, the smell coming from your apartment is worse than ever. He was like, oh, I had some bad meat in the refrigerator. And she was like, yeah, I saw you take a whole lot of meat out last week. Like the smell should be gone by now. Why does it still smell like that? So he was like, oh, I'll take care of it over the weekend. Sorry about that. And he's just like the creepiest fucking white man ever. Like he's very, when he's talking to Nisi Nash, literally his direct next door neighbor, he's not 
aggressive. He's actually rather passive, but he's just so damn creepy. I was just like, I can't watch this shit. No, no, no. Oh, there was something else with Dahmer too. I watched this, the five minutes of it, right? And I'm freaked out just by watching it with no attachment to the story. I'm not from Milwaukee. I'm not a young black or Latino guy. Those were Dahmer's primary victims. I'm not gay, so I don't have an attachment to it that way. I just have a curiosity about this this story and about this guy who committed these heinous crimes and this show that everyone is raving about. There's a scene that's floating around the internet of a victim statement that's given by the sister of one of Dahmer's victims. And I vaguely remember seeing this video clip when I was maybe in high school. This woman, the sister, flips the fuck out on Dahmer. She's giving her victim statement and he's basically just ignoring her. Like he's sitting there like she's not even in the room and she loses it. But I imagine, and maybe not imagine because she wrote an essay about it, which I'm about to read um, quotes from. That was a terrible day for her life. Like her brother has been killed and then you're at sentencing and the man who did this is sitting in the room with you looking completely unbothered about the life he stole from you. That's got to be a real bad day in your life. So Netflix for this Dahmer story recreates the sister giving her victim statement and flipping the fuck out. And the actress does an amazing job. So did wardrobe and hair. The actress nails it. The hand movements, the body, the, the, the head ticks, like she nails it. And, and the way she loses it, the actress is very visceral. Like she nails it in the same way that the sister did. You know, nobody called the sister and, and told her that, they, that this scene was happening. I'm not saying she needed to give permission or anything like that, but nobody called her and said, hey, we're doing this reenactment of the, one of the worst days of your life. If you may be triggered by this and we just wanted you to know. And I was thinking about that with the other family members of Dahmer's victims. They didn't call people and give them a heads up that they were doing this film and like or they were doing this series. Rather, that's got to be some traumatizing shit, which many Family members have spoken up and said, like, yes, this is some traumatizing shit. But I didn't see an essay from anybody other than the sister. And so I want to read what she said because she deserves to be heard. Shit. So the sister's name is Rita Isbell. And she delivered that victim impact statement in 1992. I'm reading this on movieweb.com. She shared that her brother, who was murdered 31 years ago by Dahmer, her brother... His girlfriend was pregnant at the time when he was murdered. That girlfriend has a daughter and that daughter also has a daughter. So her brother would have been a grandfather. She wanted people to know that about him. She said she watched some of Monster. I keep calling it Dahmer, but the, the technical title is Monster. She said she watched some of Monster, which bothered her. She said, especially the scene where the actress said verbatim, which she said in the courtroom on that day. 
This is the sister. She said, quote, if I didn't know any better, I would have thought it was me. Her hair was like mine. She had on the same clothes. That's why it felt like reliving it all over again. It brought back all of those emotions I was feeling back then. She said she didn't watch the whole show. She said she didn't need to because she lived it and she knows exactly what happened. She also said that now, 31 years later, she can talk about her brother's murder and Dahmer with less anger. She specifically says not as much anger. She doesn't say no anger, which completely understandable. She also said she's still learning how to forgive, which I think is, is beyond. Especially when there's harm done to black people and the harm is done by white people. There's always this sort of seeming push to get black people to forgive. And I didn't notice it until there were a string of high profile black people, not just men, but black people killed by police even before George Floyd. I want to say there was like Trayvon Martin and then there was, what was the kid in, uh, in Ferguson? And I call him a kid because he was 18 years old. The one New York Times referred to as no angel. And I was like, he's a murdered teenager whose body got left in the street like a dog. And that's how you want to describe him? I'm still not over that shit. I don't, was it Trayvon Martin's mother? Or maybe it was the little boy, the 10-year-old, who was at the playground, who had the fake gun and the police just ran up and shot him and killed him. I can't remember his name. One of the mothers was really like amped, fired up, mad, angry. And the exact way you would expect a mother to be, being is how her child was murdered. And I remember like the, the news commentary was about her anger and I don't know if she was advocating for violence, but she wasn't telling people to stand down. I cannot remember which mother this was. They were trying to get her to make a call for peace and to tell protesters to go home and not be violent. And she was like, no, I'm not doing that shit. You killed my kid. No. But it's always this push to, to get black people to be like, no, don't loot, don't burn, don't don't fight, don't rebel. We have to practice peace and order and no violence and forgiveness. And for what? For what? But y'all here killing kids and, and want somebody to like forgive? How? Why? I get the idea of forgiveness for you so that you're not walking around carrying anger and bitterness. That part makes sense to me. But you could do that like, you know, after the trial. It ain't got to be immediate. Like the body barely in the ground and folks be like, oh, you know, I forgive. I forgive. I forgive. Why? 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 I think anger is a very healthy emotion. I think more people should use it. I think a lot of people would be less angry if they express their anger instead of trying to suppress it. That's just me. But back to the sister. So she gives a little background about her impact statement. Again, her name is Rita Isbell. She says, when I found out I could read a victim impact statement, I knew I was going to let Jeffrey Dahmer have it. I just didn't know what I was going to say. This was my first time ever being in front of him. It all just came out in the moment. She said, my plan was to get up there and say how it made my mother feel and what it did to her. But when I got in front of his face, it was a whole new ball game. I recognized evil. I was face to face with pure evil. And then I was angry because he wouldn't look at me. The reason why I said what I said during the impact statement was because during the trial, they were portraying him as being so out of control, he couldn't help himself. But you have to be in control in order to do the things that he was doing. So that's why I said, let me show you what out of control is. 
Lord, I love black people. I love black women. She said, this is out of control. I was out of body. I wasn't myself in that moment. Whatever I had on the inside, I let out. I didn't hold it in and later say, oh, I wish I had said or done this when I had the opportunity to. And I think I was speaking for a lot of the other family members of the victims. The officers that pulled me away were really nice to me. They asked me if I needed water. I told them I had a headache and they offered me painkillers. They were understanding. And then right after that, we went outside the courtroom and there were all these news people just rushing me. I didn't even have time to get it together. I hope she's all right. Also on Netflix, because Netflix is just like fucking killing it right now. A Jazz Man's Blues. Did anybody else watch that? It took me two tries. And I, I did finally get through it while I was doing something else. This is the Tyler Perry movie that Perry said he wrote 27 years ago. And it's taken all this time for him to bring it to the big screen. I don't know if he said it or other people said it, that this was his best film yet. Accurate. Accurate. It is his best film yet. You remember weeks ago, maybe it was when I saw the trailer for this film and I talked about how I had eased up on Tyler Perry. I think I said I wasn't going to speak negatively about Tyler Perry anymore because while I didn't much care for his film offerings, I recognize the good community work that he does, especially on behalf of black women. And I respect that he flipped that Medea money into building his own studio, his own table, if you will. And I like that very much about him. I like his business acumen. I like his dedication to black people, even if I don't always like his portrayal of black people. I like the things that he has done for black women that I have either idolized or very much respected. I like that. But when I said I wasn't going to say nothing bad about Tyler Perry movies no more, I lied. I lied. I lied. I lied. I didn't think I was lying at the time. But after I watched a Jazz Man's Blues, I was like, he could have kept this in the vault. It stayed where it was for 27 years for a very good reason. And sadly, this is his best movie. And still I was like, huh? It's much better than the other films. It's leaps and bounds better than other Tyler Perry films. Progress is occurring. Let's acknowledge that. Let's also acknowledge it was beautifully shot. It was visually stunning. Yes, the lead actors weren't very good. The storyline was just okay. The trailer told me everything that was going to happen in the movie. There was no guessing. I kind of knew how the movie was going to end when the movie began. And anything that I had the slightest doubt about... If I thought it, I was like, oh, X is about to happen. 15 minutes later, exactly X happened. Like there was no mystery. There was no, there was no plot twist. There was no, oh, wow, I didn't see that coming. No, nothing. It just, it's better though. It's leaps and bounds better. Let, let's, let's acknowledge once again, progress. But no. Also like the, the lead character, the lady, she's supposed to be passing for white. And I was like, in what world? They keep making these movies about people who are passing. And I'm just like, to who? Black people are kind of like culturally trained to like look for certain traits, like to see the blackness in other people. I guess the one drop rule like really trained us for that. But I was like, I mean, I would think white people would be the ones like they're like the gatekeepers of whiteness. Like I would think that they would be the ones who would be like that nose a little broad. Those ears and knuckles are a little dark, like those edges. 
little fuzzy. I would think white people would pick up on one before black people did, but but this movie, I was like, she could pass for half Asian, but just like pure white. Hmm. And then they had this light skinned baby, which the doll playing the baby like completely freaked me out. But then the idea that like this, and, and this is not to say because there's there's genetics are a funny thing. Genetics can go all over the place. Just the, you know, this woman, as light as she is, right? The baby absolutely could come out looking exactly like the mom. That's entirely possible. I've seen these, I've seen these Instagram couples where like the father is very brown and the mother is very white and the baby looks damn near white. It's possible. I just, I just thought it was, you know, what's the word? More than coincidence, this like light bright, but still looks half black an Asian woman and this very brown man with some kinky hair have a whole baby and the baby don't look like no parts of black. Nobody's looking at the baby half sideways. I'm just saying. It wasn't bad. It wasn't abysmal. It was just very predictable. But God bless Amira Vaughn. She played the mother in Underground. And she was also, I guess she is, like, it, currently, she plays Parker on Queen Sugar. And she's, like, the nemesis over there. I like her a lot. She's a really, really good actress. She did the best that she could with the material. It was just, like, a little heavy-handed. Everyone's just these very, like, one-dimensional people. There's, like, no subtlety. Okay, I'm stopping. I'm stopping. Again, progress. There was progress. I'm really confused on how Tyler Perry writes this 27 years ago and it goes from this to like Medea shit. I just, I don't know. I wish we could talk about Game of Thrones. I didn't get a chance to watch it yet. I heard this last episode is like bonkers. I, I wish I could watch. I just haven't had the time. And by Game of Thrones, I mean House of Dragons. We talked about how nobody's actually calling this show like the actual name. Because after I called it Game of Thrones, I called it House of Dragons. And the name of the actual show is House of the Dragon. Stop it. It's called, it's Game of Thrones, the prequel. We do have good black news. Rihanna is performing at the Super Bowl. I know there was some question last week of who was going to perform. They were like, all the good people have performed. And Rihanna previously had turned down the Super Bowl. This is not Rihanna's first time being asked to perform. She turned it down before, but she has agreed to do the Super Bowl this time. Good for her. I think Rihanna will actually be awesome at the Super Bowl. She's actually a really good performer. The vocals, live, they'll be a track. Nobody really sings live at the Super Bowl, do they? Don't they? I don't know. But I'm very happy about Rihanna at the Super Bowl. I like, I love me some Rihanna. I really do. J-Hud, I saw this really cute clip. Another one. We talked last week about how Sherry, not Sherry, Cheryl Lee Ralph was on the show. I'm thinking Sherry, because Sherry also has a talk show, which is good for Sherry. I still haven't watched the show, but I need to. But there was another clip that's circulating from J-Hud. It's an older woman in the audience, and she tells J-Hud what her favorite gospel song is. And J-Hud's like, oh, we can sing it together. And the woman's like, no, you go. And J-Hud sings it for her. I can't remember what the name of the song is off the top of my head. Unfortunately, I didn't save the clip. But the look on the woman's face, the joy and pleasure that J-Hud brought to her, God. Melted my heart. I was like watching J-Hud's show because this is like the second clip I've seen where she's singing. I was like, you know, is this like half talk show, like half musical? J-Hud just breaks into song, which I'm totally fine with because she can sing her ass off. She's so wonderful to me for daytime TV. Like, 
She's a different personality than daytime TV is accustomed to, but she's just, she's wonderful. She works. I'm so glad she does. Cause like, I was, I was really, I told you before, I was a little skeptical. I was wrong. I was absolutely wrong. In other good black news, P Valley. I read this on B Scott's page. It said P Valley is likely to be renewed for seasons three and four. At this time, it has not currently been renewed, but it's coming. And I was like, P-Valley is like one of the best shows, most popular shows on TV right now. Like, what's the holdup? But apparently the, the show creator, Katori Hall, and stars have, have been having some, some not so warm feelings. So folks have heard Katori Hall, that she didn't think that they showed enough love to her show the way they did Power, despite the crazy ratings for P-Valley. And I was like, did they not show love? That'll make no sense because P-Valley was huge. The reason I started watching P-Valley is because everyone and their mother was talking about P-Valley. The premise of P-Valley, I had zero interest in whatsoever. And then everyone and their mom started talking about it. And I was like, what is going on with this show? And I was like, well, let me give a watch. One of the best pilots I've ever seen. It's absolutely amazing. I put it up there with the first episode of Scandal and the first episode of Mad Men. First, the pilot of Mad Men is considered like in TV writing, people study it. It's a classic. That's how good it is. But Scandal is also one of those. I would be devastated if P-Valley didn't come back. I have to know, what is his name? I call him Ian because that's his name on, um, on Harlem. What's his name on this show? The bouncer, the, the gorgeous one who's having a baby with that real, real pretty girl with the big old booty. Come on. You know what I'm talking about? Him. They threw him in the trunk and we don't know what's about to happen to him because he can't die. I mean, he could, but he can't die. And an old girl is still trapped with the white boy. Mercedes is off the pole. The pink got more financial troubles because old girl ran off and took the money. I need to know what happens with my people. I'm very invested in this show. I need to see what, what's next for Uncle Clifford and Lil Murder. Like, is this dude going to go on tour? Will people accept him now that he's openly gay? It's all very confusing, but I was like, you can't leave me now. I'm very, I am very, very invested in this show. It took me a long time to get into it, but once I was in, oh baby, oh baby, what's going on over his stars? 50 Cent, petty though he is, I don't believe he plays with the church's money, but he just packed up his shit and was like, I'm out. He's currently looking for a new network or streamer for his projects, and Lord knows he has 50 million of them which are so successful after power and all his spinoffs are doing so well, 50 Cent could do almost anything he wants to do. I'm like, how did stars let that go? That's yeah. And what about that other show? Remember there was Harlem, which came out second because Harlem was on Amazon, but there was another show on stars about four black women that lived in Harlem. I feel like that show came and went. I never did watch the full season. I don't even know if I made it through the first episode, but I wanted to support just because, you know, like black girls, even, well, we'll leave that story for another time. But that show has been off. Like, is it still coming back? I haven't heard a word about it. Harlem for sure is doing a season two. I'm pretty sure they announced that, right? Shit. I know the creator and a couple of producers on the show. Pretty sure Amazon announced a season two for Harlem. But yeah, like, what's, something's, what's up with stars? Something's going on over there. Hmm. Last episode, I said I wanted to talk about the Iran situation. One of the things that I am trying to be more mindful of, especially because I'm legit like a global citizen now, but I want to be more mindful to talk about big things that are going on in the world and not just the U.S. We talked about the Iran protests last week. That was for Friday's episode. They're still going. 
I'm reading this on Yahoo News. It says Iran has entered its 10th day of nationwide protests over the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini while in police custody. Amini had been detained by morality police on September 13th for allegedly violating religious law that decrees that a woman should wear a headscarf. She died three days later. Activists in Amini's family believe she died from injuries sustained from a beating by police. Why does this sound so damn familiar? This this sounds like black people in America. Authorities in Iran deny any mistreatment and they claim that Amini, I want to reiterate that she is a 22-year-old woman, suffered from sudden heart failure. Did you do something that brought on the heart failure? Because that don't sound right. Just 22 years old and just like dies from heart failure? Did she have a pre-existing condition for heart? I mean, just, ah, okay. Yahoo continues. They say public anger over Amini's death has sparked some of the biggest protests Iran has seen in years. Demonstrations led by women have been held across 90 cities and towns. And social media is flooded with videos of what appear to be women burning their hijabs and cutting off their hair in public acts of defiance. Iran's government some wild shit. They reacted by shutting off the internet to multiple cellular networks. Videos that were uploaded before the blackout show protesters fighting back against the government's security forces. On Friday, the military hinted that it was prepared to confront the enemies, i.e. the citizens of the country. That's another word for enemies. They were prepared to confront the enemy's various plots in order to ensure security and peace for the people who are being unjustly assaulted. Wait, the people being unjustly assaulted, are are they referring to the police or are they referring to the women that the police are beating in the street? On Saturday, Iranian officials said they would continue to restrict Internet access until the protests cease. Elsewhere in Iran, and they have a photo of these protesters. There are reports of protesters chanting, offenders of the Quran must be executed. The photo of the people at this march are all men. They're waving flags. I'm going to guess that's the Iranian flag. I will put the picture of the men protesting against their own women. Who the fuck do they think they are? Like Americans? Wanting to control women's bodies and shit. Like... How familiar does this sound? I saw this meme the other day and it was comparing France and Iran. You know, France has that law that women or girls rather can't cover. They, they can't wear hijabs in public. France is under the opinion that the hijab is, uh, what is it called, like oppressive to women and girls. I think there's also a ban on... It's like there's a full, um, I don't know what the, the, the proper name for it is, but it's a full bathing outfit that covers the woman from head to toe. A Muslim woman who is very modest would wear it and they ban them at the beach. So the meme was pointing out how France is forcing women and girls to uncover, whereas Iran is forcing women to cover. And it was pointing out that the commonality between the two although they're doing two different things, is forcing women instead forcing women to do something instead of giving them a choice. And I remember with the France situation, I think it's when they were banning the hijab for girls. We had Umani Bashir come on the show. She's a black Muslim woman. 
She lives in Mexico right now, but she's from Maryland. Like literally she and I grew up not so far away from each other. But she came on the show to talk about wearing a hijab. She said, I want to be clear, my father, who is Muslim, did not force me to put this on. She says, my husband does not force me to put this on. She was like, I wear this because I want to. I want to be modest. This is what I choose to do. No one's forcing me. They couldn't force me if they wanted to. This is a choice. And she's like, many other women, this is a choice. No one's forcing them. They want to be modest. They want to cover. It makes them proud to cover. But in the same way that Imani chooses, chooses, chooses being the important part, women in Iran are not given that choice. But I think it's so important to talk about both Iran and France, because what's happening in America right now, this rolling back of women's rights, specifically with Roe v. Wade and all the fallout that's coming with that, it's not happening in a bubble. This control, this desire to control women so viscerally at that is not just an American thing, um, just in case you thought it was. It ain't. I remember a couple years ago, I'd seen this question on somebody else's page and it asked women what they would do differently in their lives if there was no if there were no men for 24 hours. And I read the responses. It was very eye opening. So I asked the same question on my own page and all of the responses. There were like hundreds, if not thousands of them. And overwhelmingly, women were like, I would go running after dark. I wouldn't wear my headphones to the train. I would dress sexier and show more cleavage. I would go I would go get gas at night. I would go to the ATM at night. I would go out alone after dark. It was it was very telling the way that women altered their lives significantly, I think, to protect themselves from men. And it led me to wonder where is the space that women feel safe and free? Like they feel like they have full bodily autonomy. They feel like they can go out and they won't be harmed. Where, where is that place? And I mean, like in the world, is there a continent? I don't think so. Is there a country? No one can name one. Is there, is there a state? Is there a city? Is there a province? Is there a county? A commonwealth? Like where? No one had an answer. That's fucked up. If you got an answer, let me know. Because the question went out to thousands of people and no one had an answer. The best answer, I think, was sitting in my house with me and a bunch of other women. Like, I feel full autonomy and I feel full safety then. Otherwise, there's always some compromises to be made and some expectations to be met. That's scary. And that's not to say that, you know, I'm over here in Ghana that it's any better. Like, I've heard horror stories of sexism. We've talked about that on previous episodes where somebody, you know, asked me a very good question and they were like, you know, you're a, like a proud and public feminist. Why are you moving to a country that is like, you know, known for its sexism? And I was like, you know, once you take racism off the table, you'd be surprised at how much else is actually tolerable. Like racism and sexism together, not. Just sexism. And I haven't encountered it not some of the blatant ways that some of my friends have told me about, like someone blatantly telling you we're running low on rice. So we're only serving the men jollof and the women have to eat white rice. What? That happened to one of my friends. Another friend, she lives in a building like something similar to mine. And, you know, she comes and goes. She's in and out like she's, you know, she's around. Right. But she said one of her male neighbors caught her in the hallway and was like, he was like, does your husband know where you go while he's at work? Does he know that you're not home? And she was like, excuse me? 
She was like, I don't know this man. She was like, I've seen him in passing, but she was like, we've had no conversation. We've had no interaction, nothing. But she was like, he rolled up on me hard body. Like, like, where are you going during the day? Like he has any kind of authority over her. And I was like, girl, the guy who's there at the house sometimes is literally just that a guy who's there at the house. Like he's not her husband, but I was like, that's crazy. And she was like, girl, just wait, just wait. Cause she, she was like, I heard the stories and she was like, nobody would ever. And she was like, then that dude rolled up on me. She was like, you've lost your goddamn mind. She's like, just wait, D. And I'm like, oh, it's going to be a day. It's going to be a day. I'm going to be on here ranting the same way I started the podcast today. But it's easier to deal with that shit when there's racism off the table. It really is. It's not completely off the table. There's other weird shit that happens here. But that's another story for another day. That's not everything, but that's enough. And we'll be back on Friday. All right. Bye.